Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. I feel like we should start this show by picking on Gene. <laughs> so I uh, okay. So so I just had Gene on the show and all you have to do is say, Gene, what's up? And, and, he, and he starts going. That's it. Yeah. The patent office won't recognize perpetual motion machines, but, <laughs> but I think Gene but, has but, proof but they're then wrong. There's, then there's Gene. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thanks, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for um, inviting me. It's wonderful. And uh, cheers. Ah, cheers, yes. Here's to liberty. So I was um, I was listening to the Tom Woods show, and you mm -hmm. were on it. This was the first time I'd heard of you. So I'm a newbie to the Doc Dixon um, iconography, the myth, hagiography, the truth. <laughs> yeah. um, and and then I Googled your face, and I discovered that you had uh, good taste in in mustache stylings. Yeah, I'm not sure we should be doing this podcast because uh, much like the president and the vice president never fly in the same plane yeah. together. Our mustache is being in the same podcast. Uh, there's now, a lot at stake here. Now, do you have substantial insurance on your mustache? Yes, 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 I, uh, I do, yes. yes. Well, you would have to. It's part, I, yes. it's, it's part of your thing. Yes. Um, and uh, but, but I discovered, one, that you were a um, wildly successful um, magician. And I discovered that you're funny as hell, which I guess I guess you were a comedian too as well. But but most importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, uh, you you've been uh, interested in in the ideas of liberty, mm -hmm. and we're turned on by I guess Ron Paul. Yeah, it's it's uh, it kind of you know almost boilerplate story everybody has. How'd you get into the liberty, liberty movement? Uh, like half a dozen words, Ron Paul. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and and then it goes on from there. But yeah, uh, that that was it. And uh, for years, uh, was the libertarian inside here, you know, and an inside right. here. And then uh, just the oddest confluence of events happens. Uh, I'm on the show Penn and Teller Fool Us. My episode, first time I was on there, where I fooled them, aired September 9th, twenty nineteen. Uh, our mutual friend Tom Woods. He is. I'm on his mailing list. Listen to his show. He's one to send out a ton of emails. You know, yeah. <laughs> daily basis. You know, Tom. And just around that time, he sends out an email that says, uh, "But referencing Pendulette being a libertarian." And I'm like, "Wow!" I mean, the the coincidence there. So I uh, send Tom an email back off just just for laughs. Like, "Hey, I I can't help you meet Penn, but I was just on his show last night." Tom emails me back, I think, the next day. Hey, do you want to be a guest on my show? And so uh, we get to talking. And, uh, you know, I, I that first episode, I think I said, uh, uh, Tom, I, I, I'm, I'm here not to talk magic. I had some great Smoot Holly jokes. <laughs> you know, I've been saving this material for a libertarian slot, but he wouldn't let me do the Smoot Holly jokes, which is good because I don't have any. But uh, we talked about magic, because Tom's a magic buff. And um, then a little bit after that, you know, I, I hear about, he, you know, he does this 2000 event. And uh, I, uh, his 2000th episode, I email him, hey, do you want me to saw you in half? I actually didn't put that in the body. I put that in the subject line. And I get an email back a minute later. You know, yes, definitely, six exclamation points. Now, I found out later that wasn't Tom responding, but his then-girlfriend, now-wife, responding. And uh, she didn't even know I was a magician. Yeah, she she, she, she thought this was a literal offer. Literal, either either she loved him so, so much she wanted two of him, or, you know, she'd, he'd the, ticked her off that day. Yeah, there were issues, yeah. So, uh, and I also did another event for Tom and and then I'm at the 2000th event in a room with 2500 libertarians and uh that was uh you know my libertarian quinceañera <laughs> bar mitzvah you know one of us one of us and and kind of went from it just being in here and here to a a, a more public uh matter of it and um I think if there was a moment 
in that was I, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the speakers going up before I'm, I'm doing my shtick. And, you know, Jeff Deist, uh, you know, president of the uh, Mises Institute. Um, Scott's up there from anti-war. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just doing my shtick, you know. And probably more than most people in this room, because of what I do for a living, the shutdown was brutal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, essentially, that overreach made my job illegal. You know, we were talking before the show. I'm doing you, stuff on Zoom. You you were non-essential. Yeah. Which, which you probably took umbrage with. <laughs> yes, yeah. Umbrage. Me <laughs> feeding my family is actually completely essential. Yes. My my six uh, boys I have at home, I you know, I'd say they have an eating disorder. They order <laughs> me to feed them every yeah. day. You know, they they gotta eat, my wife, you know, and uh, and not you know, not to mention me. And so I I kind of said, nah, I'm just not doing my shtick. I got to address this. So uh, they aired the episode on the big screen when I fooled Penn and Teller, which is really cool because I'd never seen it on a screen that big before. And yeah. I, I think the first thing I said was, play that again. That was so cool. You know, it's like, wow. And uh, I, you know, thanked everybody for how good it was to be there because my job had been made illegal. And I, 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 I thought of the people. Um, you, you know, who somewhat hyperbolic locked us up mm -hmm. and then went off to eat at fancy restaurants while telling us to stay home. Yeah. And I just said, I hate that guy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not one given to hate. That's too much energy. And it wasn't the hate of, uh, violence mm -hmm. you know i don't want to hit anybody mm -hmm. it, it wasn't the hate of a lack of forgiveness it was the hate of disgust yeah because that's you know in some ways that's even larger than the, the libertarian context when your family is suffering and at, at the hands of someone else and they totally ignore you know they're telling you to do one thing and do something else you, you, you don't need to study Austrian economics to be sickened by that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that was that was that was my little bit. You talk about the Ron Paul moment. That was the Jack Dixon moment for you, me. You know, you know, I, I didn't realize that, but I'm not surprised at all that that it was a one-two step. That you know, when you when you hear Ron Paul speak, you're sort of intellectually like, oh, Mises, who's that guy? I'm going to Google yeah. that guy. And there is there is a Ron Paul generation mm -hmm. who have been turned on to Austrian economics by him. But I think the latest generation are people that were just happily living their lives and raising their kids and doing their work and doing the things that people should do. It's just, just leaving other people alone as long as you don't hurt people or take their stuff. Mm -hmm. And then a governor or um, some global tribunal decides that you're not allowed to leave your house anymore. Yeah. You're not allowed to work anymore unless, by the way, you happen to be someone that either produces food or delivers food to the front doorstep of, of the members of the lockdown class who are quite comfortable because they can actually work on Zoom. They can work from a laptop. And I say this, I'm basically a part of the laptop class. I, I do communication and we didn't stop during lockdowns and, and we, didn't, we didn't stop anything that we weren't illegally... Uh, le we didn't stop anything that we were legally allowed to do, which in D.C. was still a challenge because so many things were. Sure. But I, I think there's um, a revolution of necessity, but perhaps a potentially a revolution of beauty of people that just saying something fundamentally went wrong when the political class thought that they had the authority to decide who was useful and who wasn't, who could leave their house, yeah. who couldn't, who could go to the hospital and who couldn't. You know, like, I'll go on and on down the list. Oh, yeah, my, my father-in-law put off surgery for weeks and weeks and weeks that yeah. he needed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know people that lost members of their family because they weren't legally allowed in New York, in New York State. You weren't allowed to go to the hospital. So this is kind of, uh, they've lit in a fire under our butts. Um, but that, that's an opportunity, perhaps, to connect mm -hmm. with people that are saying, why did this happen and like this doesn't make any sense this seems almost un-american that people would dictate from the top down this very mm. intimate aspects of our lives 
Yeah, uh, it, it, it brings to mind a, a, a Jeff Dice article. You ever read something that's paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, but there's this one sentence that's like, brother, you could have stopped with that. Mm -hmm. That was so good. And, and now watch, I'm going to butcher the quote. <laughs> but he said, among the things COVID gave us, one of the biggest, it gave us clarity. And that's yeah. what you're saying. I, I think it gave us clarity and emotional clarity. Yeah. Because it's so obvious. I mean, kind of the, the lighter side of the uh, hoops that were made to jump through. I have a client in Pennsylvania. Still do, thankfully. Uh, before they shut down and, and currently still. And she was telling me this story about her and her friends were in a bar having a few beers. And the waitress comes up and says, uh, would you like to order some food? And she says, no, we're just here to have some beers. And the waitress then said this. Well, if I come by and ask you again, uh, please order food because that means there's a COVID compliance officer in the bar right. and, and we can get in trouble. And having the firm grasp of science that I do, I immediately replied, well, yes, because uh, sandwiches cure COVID. You know, <laughs> you put a put a Reuben in your pocket, you know, a hoagie. You're, it, it's silly. And we know it's silly. And, uh, you know, as far as communicating what we, what we do, I, I think a lot of COVID kind of put it on a silver platter for us yeah yeah uh, i hope we can take advantage of that and and that that was the that was the basis of uh your conversation with with tom and i want to mm -hmm. dig into that because i wanted more because your job as a as a magician and and a comedian like do you identify how do you identify what are your are you comedian pronoun <laughs> magician <laughs> pronoun like comic magician okay yeah yeah, I'm, and I'm, they sort of go together. I mean, I realize that some magicians are are quite sober and serious, but not not all not all the time. Less than you would think. Uh, I I came up uh, the formation of my act and stage persona surely uh, in the '90s in comedy clubs. So yeah, very much a comedic magician. Was was there always magic, um, even when you're doing stand up? Or no, that, it was always magic. Yeah, always, always magic, always but magic. always uh, delivered comedically. I, I want to take a step back because. Um, why would anyone decide to be a magician? Like, is there is there something wrong with you? Like, <laughs> well, well, yes. <laughs> I don't feel compelled to give a more detailed answer than that. Yes, there there are many things wrong with that, me. That's that's part of the show is to figure out, right? Wow, wow. Wait, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Peterson. Why don't you tell me a deep dive into uh, Doctor Phil? No. <laughs> You, you know, uh, it, it's the path for uh, most people. It was a hobby when I was a kid. Uh, probably a little more detailed, but this really helps explain it. There is a book that a lot of guys of my generation started off. It's called The Amateur Magician's Handbook, written in 1950, I think. A guy by the name of Henry Hay. Uh, the book is one of the few magic books you can buy in normal bookstores, as opposed to magician shops, that go into some of the nitty-gritty of sleight of hand. It's hard stuff. Mm -hmm. I would dare say, even though this book, you know, 1950, Amateur Magician's Handbook, 90% uh, of the magicians you meet can't do the stuff in this book, the side yeah. of hand stuff. So because it's hard, in one way, you might say that gives resistance, but also once that sinks its teeth into you, the challenge of that. Yeah. You know, it's not something you could throw off. You put some time in it. So that was it. So I, I, I'm doing that. And I was young enough and dumb enough not to think it through. And so I just did it. You know, very few people start doing this for a living, you know, once they're, uh, you know, of age, whatever age you want to put on that. Started doing it and, uh, you know, one break led to another and, you know, making a living. You know? So, so like, so always, like you, you, before you knew that you had to earn a living, you said, I wanted to be a magician. I think it was about the same time. Yeah. It was yeah. about the same time. Yeah. And, and most of that is um, live gigs. Expl explain the business. For those of us that I'm, I'm making fun of you for choosing something that would be difficult to make a living in, but I have I have no idea. Like, I mean, you might be making bank right now, and I don't know it. It's it's uh, it's like any other business. Uh, I, I think I might have explained this. Yeah, I know I explained it this way at the time because I explained this to a lot of others this way. If you're a landscaper, you look for people with lawns and bushes and trees. If you're an entertainer, you look for people that need entertainment. The difference between a landscaper and a magician, amongst many, is that lawns, trees, and bushes are pretty self-evident. There they are. We get that. We've all cut our own grass at one point. Uh, not you, I understand. Yeah. You have your people do that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I mean, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
uh, is a magician. Uh, there, there's uh, differing venues. You know, corporate events when it's a banquet and it's been boring and they got to bring, you know, boom, I go up there, pop it, make a, you know, maybe make the new product disappear. Uh, cruise ship entertainment, um, actually off on a, in a ship in a couple weeks. Um, unit, uh, comedy clubs, resorts, all that. People that need entertainment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mostly, in, mostly in the, in the corporate kind of things. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. So what was the path? Um, I, I sort of want to tell the Penn and Teller story a little bit um, for those who don't know. The, the path to get on that show was just grinding it out and performing and like, how did you get there? Oh, sure. Uh, it's really simple. They, they need people to be on the show. Uh, I would like to be on the show as along with, you know, hundreds of other magicians. And so the, the formula is pretty simple. You take a video of what you do, performance, either just for the camera or a live performance for an audience. And you put that in an unlisted, uh, YouTube link. And then these uh, wonderful, long-suffering producers look through hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of, of videos. I'm sure of varying quality, yeah, you know, because yeah. that's, and I'm not putting down anyone, that's just the way life is. Sure. And uh, they decide who's going to be on the show. So they crowdsource, they crowdsource it. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little paint in the fence there. So, yeah. so you, <laughs> you, did, you didn't need to, like, know a guy. That's that's sort of my question. Like, did you know a guy? Did you hire a guy that knew a guy? But you just, like, submitted your gig. Yeah, you don't know. Okay. That doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah, just submit it. I mean, sometimes, I think occasionally they seek people out if they see somebody do something in the rack. They're like, we want that on the show. But yeah. uh, there, there's no you know a guy thing, no. By, by the way, we're picking on Gene Epstein, but uh, Penn has also been on my show. And it's exactly the same thing. Pen, how's it going? He just takes off. And it was, uh, it, it wasn't a monologue, but it was, uh, it was a journey for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Pen's a teetotaler. I am not. So yeah. I occasionally pause and that. Yeah. And that's, um, well, it's, it's funny because I did a show with Pen Gillette, who doesn't drink, and Glenn Beck, who doesn't drink. Who doesn't drink. But I was in Vegas, so. I had a cocktail because when in Rome, yeah, hence it's there. it's what you do. There, there you go. Um, so since Penn, and so you 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 fooled you mentioned this, but uh, you fooled Penn and Teller mm -hmm. with um, what apparently is a famous uh, shell game thing that you mm -hmm. do. Yeah, uh, I didn't ruin it by Google. But you you should tell people how you do it, but I, I don't want to know because. <laughs> I'm just like, how the heck did he do that? I, I a little glimpse into it. I, I think what helped it uh, I, I get the trophy uh, was that typically, I would say 99% of people who do the shell game, uh, it ends in a certain way. Yeah. It in zigzag, it zigs. My ending zagged. And naturally, as magicians, I, I think that someone could work against them watching it because they are fully expecting it's going to go this route, zig, and then the yeah. ending came in, so... And it, and it it was it was great you, you, you know uh, uh, to be really honest yeah, I'm I'm not a youngster anymore and uh, to have that happen I the, the feeling of well, the old man still has some gas in the tank yeah you know? <laughs> it was kind of nice, nice so that and that that aired in 2019 yep September 9th 2019 and within six months your yeah. your world is shut down. Yeah, March 13th, Friday the 13th. There's some bad timing because I'm guessing you got a nice nice bump in business. Yeah, what had happened was uh, the episode aired in September and you know, rarely are, are, uh, is entertainment booked, hey, can you come over the next day? It's booked months in advance. Right. And so I was pretty tightly booked uh, up until the lockdown. And so the... the uh, happens in, in March and I'm starting to ride some bookings into the next year from the fullest performance and uh, 
then it all then it all shuts down. And I mean, I'm not the only person to have this story, but literally that moment, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars go yep. off the book yep. books. So uh, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. And then we all kind of went through this feeling of. And I say we, I mean, you know, showbiz folk, I think, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us, conversations I had saying, eh, this will be over by the summer, we'll all get normal back then, and and it didn't end then. And uh, it kept, for the longest time, not ending. Uh, you know, I, I thought there'd be a big change of mind uh, when you know a, a septuagenarian fast food eating guy who's famous for not working out who happens to be the president of the united states gets it and four days later is out of the hospital yeah and still see minds not change and then if you remember what uh within the week not making a fat joke here but chris christie is a big guy who also has asthma gets it and he's fine in a week or out of the hospital in a week and it, and it's still you know, for many, didn't want to let go. And, and there are still some uh, that, you know, it's much smaller now, thankfully, that don't want to let go. I think, like, and I, I go to a lot of concerts. I love live music. I have very eclectic tastes. And and I, as a, as a consumer of live music and as an economist by training, I'm looking at that entire ecosystem that is devastated. And, and yes, um, Taylor Swift can take a year off. She can take two years off. She could actually retire yeah. and be fine for the rest of, rest of her life. But but that entire ecosystem, um, starting with the venue and the cruise and the the the, yeah. the food and like the, the the huge part of our economy, this this was sort of a microcosm of the lack of appreciation for um, how people earn a living in a complex economy. And and by the way, how they serve other people. Mm -hmm. and make sure that, that people get food and all of that stuff. Through all those wonderful voluntary actions. Yeah. yeah. And I, that was like my first reaction as an economist was um, this won't last very long because you can't actually turn off the economy yeah. without killing a lot of people. And what I learned was, well, they're not going to turn it off all the economy. They're just going to turn off certain aspects of the economy the things that are essential are the things, again, like I said earlier, that, that get food to the door of the laptop class um, and the political class and all the people that, that were neurotic enough to say, we got to keep doing this stuff. Yeah, uh, Walmart, uh, 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 Amazon, French Laundry. Yep. People. The, 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 the people. <laughs> we're all good people. <laughs> yes. Go to dinner. Um, how long and and – one thing I discovered over time is that um, after it didn't go away quickly, because there, there were some brave souls that went back out on the road in 2020, mm. only to have the rug pulled out from them again. And at some point, I stopped buying concert tickets because I'm like, I don't, I don't have any reasonable expectation that this, I don't know when it ends. When does it? So, so my question is like, for you, like, when, when were you able to start booking gigs again, and, and did, you, did you end up just getting the rug pulled out from under you? Well, uh, yeah, I definitely got the, the rug pulled out from under me. Uh, like a second and third time. Second and third, yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, uh, brutal and, and you know, not to be over-personal, but there were also some folks in my family were going through some serious health issues at that yeah. time, unrelated to COVID, but no doubt incredibly exacerbated by COVID. And it was brutal. So I think one of the first, you know, uh, gigs I did, uh, anything, I think it was 2021. Uh, it kind of blurs. It's just, and it's not just because I'm trying to put bad memories. It's just that yeah. my nature is to keep things in a fog. <laughs> but uh, June 2021 did a uh, an event for Tom and his you know supporting listeners saying Tom Woods and uh, it was great to be in a room full of normal people and the fact that they were all liberty minded it was you know bonus ding you know but just uh, just reacting like people being an audience laughing yeah you know because we were chatting briefly before we came into the studio you know I was doing a lot of Zoom shows during that time yeah and Zoom shows are great I mean once I I mean great and but they're not as good. I don't, let me put the 
more precisely. Once I grasped what they were, at least for me, for me a Zoom show, my subtext was, we are gathered around a campfire and Uncle Doc is going to do some amazing funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kind of the same feeling of a campfire. You're in the darkness. I can't reach you. You can't reach me. Uh, and, and I did a lot of those, but it's not the same you know, it's a concert TV. It's like watching fireworks on TV. Right. It's like every right. time, every time I see fireworks on TV, I'm like, "What is the point? Why did they make a new clip? Can't yeah. they just run the same one?" It's silly. This was uh, um, I had Dr. Jay Bhattacharya on. I've had him on several times actually, but he 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 claims I think quite accurately that without Zoom, the lockdowns would not have lasted as long because it eventually people would have had to gather. But my experience was like you, like I, when, That's good. Yeah. when I actually had um, live events in 2020, 2021, they were, they were mostly libertarian gatherings, people that weren't afraid, people that were like, it's kind of funny because libertarians are, are sort of famous for, for not being communitarians. But we were the first people out there on the frontier saying, let's gather, let's connect let's let's remember what it's like to be human again so like this tom woods uh 2000 show thing must must have been kind of cathartic oh look we can be normal again perfect yeah for uh, i would say especially for me yeah i mean i shouldn't say that because i didn't pull the 2500 people there but yeah uh very much actually when i want to correct you we weren't the uh first person and this is one of the cases you know like the uh the, the trump and chris christie thing uh when uh sturgis turned out to be not to not to be a super spreader event. I think they all died. Uh, they? Yeah, they they all died. Actually, every, yes, every yeah, single I one of them. It did not spread because they all died instantly. I remember, I remember as they crowded in the bar. I was there on a Zoom screen, screaming, "Please dance as I told you, like the 17th century, far apart." But no, with the grinding, I say, with the grinding, <laughs> stop it. Uh. Yeah, when Sturgis wasn't a super spreader, I mean, you know, follow the science. How about follow the self-evidentiary stuff in front of your face? That data is also science, too. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, So when you did the Penn & Teller thing, I noticed this. I just rewatched it, and and you slipped in a libertarian joke. Um, (laughs) But it wasn't a libertarian joke at all. It was just common sense. Like, well, yeah, the, the, the joke about uh, three empty shells, just like our political choices. Yeah, they're all empty I, and identical, yeah. just like voting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, this is actually why I've brought you here today. Um, I want to, I'm very interested in some of the things you were talking to Tom about, about how we could translate all of these cool books and these profound ideas that we have into just basic common sense values, the kind of things that, that your mom taught you. That's a really good way to put it, the things your mom taught you. I mean, like the uh, example of telling us to stay at home, the, the one in particular, it's not the uh, Gavin Newsom thing. I, I don't want to say what mayor he was because I'm not sure, but there was a video of a mayor telling everyone to stay at home, and this was particularly irritating to me, and this is – I'm like you. I like bourbon. I I like scotch. Uh, Isla Lafroig, all that. You know, uh, I'm, he's drinking a drink with an umbrella out of it, <laughs> and this is totally wrong for me to like that. That made me dislike it more. But this guy was going to a vacation. In no, that Mexico. that would have made me angry. Yeah. Okay, thank you, thank yeah. you. It's not. It's at least it's just us. It's yeah. not just me. He's he's drinking a drink with an umbrella out of it, and he's saying, "Make sure you stay home, everybody." It's like, yeah. Stop! Stop! <laughs> I'm sorry. Where were we? I, 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 can I can I? We have our tech here. Can I start tossing things, chairs, and stuff? I, where's Where's the Bob Knight chair to throw across the room? Where? If, if this was Rogan, I would have Miguel like Google that guy because I remember him specifically, and then he ends up like at, at some resort yeah. in, in Mexico, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I want to say, and a heavy disclaimer, I think it was Austin, but I could be wrong. Yeah, the, the mayor of Austin. Oh, I think I, you're right. I, okay. Um, so. I, are you Googling? Are you Googling? Is it Austin? Yeah, it was, it was a mayor from Austin, for sure. Okay. So, so we have a fact See? We have a, Well, I shouldn't call him a fact checker because that doesn't mean what it used to mean. <laughs> Audio, video, and, and? It's amazing. Covered my butt? Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. I'm going to do all my shows with bourbon. So, so I'm, I'm <laughs> yes, going to... Yes, sir. Um, oh, I, I, communicating the message. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, I, I love libertarianism. I really do. I think it is right both... Uh, uh, it is virtuous. I mean, the title of your book, you know, don't, uh, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Uh, that, a five-year-old gets that. Yeah. It... it and, and just because you put on the, uh, the badge of I'm a governor or I'm a mayor or whatever doesn't mean you still don't have to do that. I mean, with my own kids, I'll say things like, hey, you did something wrong. What do you say? I'm sorry. And you got to mean it. I'm not seeing a lot of I mean it sorries, either from those particular cases we're, we're talking about or overall. I'm saying, no, I'm sorry, despite the evidence that's coming out, you darn well did the wrong thing. And also, it's 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 factually right. Uh, I, I'm astounded by. Uh, uh, I, I don't try to get into a lot of debates on Facebook, because, as that meme goes, ain't got time for that. But uh, put you know, inflating the money supply. Well, brace yourself; it causes inflation. I mean, that's that's true when Biden doesn't do, and Trump does it. Does when the uh, you know the mayor of Rome, or excuse me, the emperor of Rome is clipping coins. You know, it's, it's always what it's done. Uh, we're, we're, and, and do, do the other parties realize this? Yeah, I think they do. They care about it. Nah. You know, so uh, communicate the message. Well, I, I don't think it's the same way to communicate it for everyone. And, and I got to say, you know, I'm new to this community. So big preface there, you know, big. Uh, I'm reminded there was a, uh, a columnist back in, in Pittsburgh uh, uh, in the Post-Gazette, since passed away. He had a column that frequently started with some things I think I think. So there was Phil Music, it might have been. But, so here we go. Uh, it can be tough to talk to uh, conservatives, particularly Christian conservatives, I'm a Christian, about um, uh, drug legalization. And the way I've broached this subject uh, conversationally with people, not the, specifically the drug part immediately, is by asking someone, well, what laws do you think we should have against heresy? Now, unless a person's a full-blown theonomist, you know, thinking the church is state, whatever, they're going to say, well, no, we shouldn't have laws against that. Well, if that's the case, then they've, we both agree that just because something is wrong it doesn't mean the government's hand needs to be in it. So, I don't like drugs. I don't endorse drugs. Zero stars. You like Amazon? I wish I can give it zero stars. <laughs> zero stars. At the same time, uh, I think of you know conservative icon Rush Limbaugh. When was it? Uh, Oxycontin he was addicted to. He had to jump through so many legal hoops before he can get treatment. How much more humane would it be, you know, to avoid jail time? Yeah. How much more humane and loving would it have been? He, I believe he had a back injury, and that's how he got hooked to the drugs. If he was immediately able to go into a clinic, you know, to get dried out or whatever the, whatever the term is, uh, instead of having to wrangle with the law. Um, the state is often the, the things government wants to do. You ever, you're doing a home repair and you got to screw a screwdriver, screw something in, and you don't feel like walking across the how to get a screwdriver, but you're in the kitchen, so you use a butter knife. You know, it is a, yeah, it kind of sort of maybe gets the job done, yeah. but it's really not the best tool for the job. So, yeah, kind of sort of maybe, and I'm really being kind, will do some of the job, but it, it's not the tool for the job. 
This is um, even to this day, um, conservatives are struggling uh, specifically with fentanyl, and and you get, uh, I, I believe, Donald Trump has said you sh- you you need to um, give everybody the death sentence if they're dealing fentanyl, and it, it I, I realize how it appeals to people's emotions, but of course that makes everything worse. Um, for the specific reason you said, like if somebody gets in trouble, and maybe they got maybe they had a, a bad back or they ended up in the hospital and they get addicted to legal. Um, prescription painkillers, and then they declare a war on those legal prescription painkillers. So they go to the black market. They're buying things they don't understand what it is. And by the way, they're they're afraid to go get help because yeah. because they'll get arrested um, and get thrown in jail. Um, there's a phrase one of my libertarian friends uses: um, harm reduction. Like we we mm. probably can't stop people from doing potentially destructive things. But we could make it stretch. Probably, yeah. We, we can't. We can't. Okay. Um, and we, we certainly can't stop people from doing things we don't like. But you could create a, a a more humane system where people that get in trouble could seek our help to lift them out of trouble. But mm-hmm. if you if you criminalize everything, if you put kids in jail for marijuana, you you create this this. Uh, mass incarceration problem and all sorts of problems that we've created. So I, th- I think there's, a, there's, there's kind of a conservative version of the libertarian argument, but there might, might also be sort of a, a, a left, hippy-dippy, progressive version of these arguments as well. Well, I, 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 a couple of things uh, we'd like to comment on. Re- regarding fentanyl, I, I'm not far from an expert on this and whatever the opposite end of the spectrum is, but... It's my understanding many times when people consume fentanyl, they do it's done without their knowledge. So yeah. effectually, it is more poison than a drug they're intentionally taken, because, taking. Because it's bought in an illegal market. Yes. And you have no idea what it is. And so the illegality of them taking something that is a far less dangerous item, uh, yet that factors in. So the illegality in, could increase the, the consumption of fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's poison versus drug knowingly taken, two different things. Second, uh, regarding uh, marijuana, I, you know, I don't partake. It's not my thing. This, is, this and huge doses of caffeine throughout the day are pretty much it. Uh, on the other hand... The, the daily cycle of life, caffeine <laughs> and bourbon. Hey, so, gentlemen, I, I knew I liked this guy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, but, so, uh, but but just about, about the, the marijuana, I have uh, people dear to me that I live in Georgia, have a Georgia medical marijuana card. Uh, you know, they're, they're not walking around like a, a extra from a Cheech and Chong movie. It It is a palliative in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, this person was telling me about someone that didn't happen to have a Georgia medical marijuana card and took the same approach... Uh, and they ended up in court. Yeah. So, you know, th- this whole thing with the state, the piece of paper makes this thing okay. And it's, uh, yeah. It pains me. It pains me because people are hurting. And, you know, the, the, the particular person I'm thinking of, th- this gives them pain relief. Yeah. You want to take them, take that away from them? Yes. So, like my, and this, we could get into how to communicate this, but my, my economics training and my, my libertarian values inform me that something like fentanyl, which is dangerous and just kills people, there, there wouldn't be a black market for that if we weren't attacking other forms of drug, maybe, maybe prescription drugs, but also maybe marijuana. Um, decriminalize all of that like they did in Portugal and magically, the really dangerous stuff goes away, and some yeah. some people at the margins that still get hooked on heroin, they can they can pursue a path to to find help. Um, this seems so obvious to me, and it's just it's just like uh, no rules, no licenses, no regulations, just people figuring stuff out for themselves, and and also helping people that get in trouble. Uh, you know, in, in libertarian circles, we have the Giuliani moments. 
The, but I've, I've always thought, no, that was actually two moments. He called him out of the debate, the next moment, the next day. My favorite Ron Paul moment, because it was also it was a comic, it was a great laugh line. They're talking yeah. about legalizing drugs. You know, right. the line yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Says, And I hope I, this is pretty close to verbatim. If it was legal, how many of you would go out and do heroin tomorrow? You know, and, and big laugh. And it's it's one of those questions. It's funny, but it, it's also il- illustrates the point. It's, yeah. it's not the law. It's... It's just common sense, virtue, yeah. that, that, that keeps people from doing it. Yeah. And to, to make the argument, you know, people will get hurt if we do this, you know, as far as legally. Well, people are getting hurt now. A lot of people are getting hurt. Your comment about fentanyl, a lot of people are getting hurt. And not in Portugal. Yeah, we, we keep doubling down. Like, um, I have this theory, and I, I've yet to be proven wrong, that whenever the government declares a war on something, it makes things worse. My fear is that, yeah, they say the uh, Beat Inflation Act. Well, you know, it's going to do that. My fear is that the government will pass the Anti-Castration Act. <laughs> then you hear that, we're in trouble, men. Flee, flee. I'm, I'm getting anxious over here. The show just got the iTunes PG thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, but to, to us, and, and there's something about the way that our brains work and either either it was just like your your instincts so when you heard Ron Paul you're like well yeah heck yeah or or you read certain books but i i think you know people are can easily get sort of lured into this us versus them if the government doesn't declare a war on terror um things will get worse and of course the war on terror created more terror yeah um uh Name check Ron Paul one more time. Uh, yeah, I, I think there, there's a, a challenge in our messaging. And again, all the caveats. Hey, new guy, hi. Uh, it is this. Money and attention are behavioral fertilizers. Throw money at something, there's going to be more of it. We, I mean, it's, it's economics 101. If we throw attention at something, uh, and, and by attention, I mean like social media, thumbs up. I think that uh, taxation is theft, that phrase. Uh, you know the phrase, slan- the word slancha? Mm-hmm. Of course you do, the toast. Yeah. I think that's the libertarian slancha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, taxation is theft and <laughs> blessings to you. you know? It's a secret handshake. It's a secret handshake. All right, one of us, one of us. Oddly enough, that phrase, one of us, comes from a movie called Freaks. So... Somewhat telling. Yeah, there's a lesson there. There's there's a lesson there. But if, you know, probably, I guess you like me, a lot of your friends, none of your friends are uh, libertarians. And I wonder how our speak, when we say taxation is theft, yes, it is. And what is the comment we get from non-libertarians? One of the first thing, what about the roads? Yeah. And we respond with a cliche, M-U-H, my roads. Yeah. If you were selling something, and, th- and this is where my feelings come, not as a performer, but as a showman, a person in the business of selling shows. If you were in the business of selling something and that presentation automatically got this objection, mm-hmm. you got a choice. One, you, you better have something to take that objection out quickly and efficiently just like that. Or two, and usually better, say something that doesn't raise the objection. Yeah. And it's tough to, to bifurcate that with social media because, you know, unless you're going to go on your Facebook, okay, I'm going to post this to all my uh, Liberty friends, I'm going to post this to all my normies, you know. But I, I, I think that's a challenge with the message, too. And, and I, 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 another thing, um, one thing I, I, I love about Dr. Paul is that um, you take out the libertarian aspect of him. I think this is a, a safe thing to say. He's like a, a really normal guy, mm-hmm. super normal. I mean, uh, high school, I think he was a track state champion, you know, went on to be a, the most wholesome of doctors, a baby doctor, you know, been married to his wife 60 plus years. You know, the, there's not a lot of arrows that's going to stick in that guy. And I, I think uh, adopting some of that and, and maybe not being as outlandish, outlandish will help us appeal to some people. It's going to lose others. You know, but uh, but enough about Porkfest. <laughs> <laughs> we 
We go every year, by the way. And, I've been wanting to go, so and it's uh, <laughs> not not a cut. Please, yeah, please please come next year. You can. Uh, I would love for free the people to host you there because I think oh, be swell. it's it's kind of cool to meet hippies who are so well armed. <laughs> Miguel was there for the first time. He's laughing. Um, <laughs> he's like he was a newbie, and he's like, "Who the hell are these people?" <laughs> At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lesson in there that we're getting at because... You have um, Christian families um, with their kids and and playgrounds and family events, and you have um, well-armed hippies, and then you have people that are really into Bitcoin and weed, and then you have like way over there in the corner, there's a nudist colony, and they're not in any way, um, they don't come from the same places as these other communities come from. And yet all of these communities coexist and, and almost, um, well, they definitely tolerate each other. Um, they probably respect each other because they know that no one else there is going to try to force them to accept their lifestyles as their own. And I think that's, that's part of the, the libertarian message that some libertarians perhaps miss is that, you know what, we could all get along if we would just like mind our own business, yep. work hard, and uh, don't hurt anybody else. Yeah. Uh, question: Are the nudist packing, you know, uh, weapons? And if so, are they still nudist? <laughs> we're we're to go to the judges on this one. Yes. <laughs> Survey says. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. We'll have to check back on the show notes for that answer. There, there was, um, and I sort of picked on the nudist a little bit. I, I did not. How can you not? Yeah. I'm sorry. If you're a nudist and you don't have a sense of humor about it, how can you not like pick on it? I oddly enough, they have metaphorical Kevlar. Yeah. <laughs> despite yeah. not having actual clothing. Maybe they sort of like getting picked on. Maybe that's why they're doing it. I don't think "picks" the right verb, but you know, jesting. <laughs> I, 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 I've had offers to do gigs at nudist camps uh i've i've never accepted them and for a variety of reasons not the least of which is i would i'm a grown man i'd giggle yeah <laughs> all the time they just have to carry me off <laughs> sorry put this in your pocket oh wait sorry okay without yes without, without destroying any business what was the weirdest gig you ever did oh weirdest gig um not including pork fest 2023 <laughs> the bar has been set. Weirdest gig. Uh, oh, okay. I, 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 two quick ones. I get a call from an agent many years ago. Hey, would you do the grand opening of a shoe store? I'm like, I don't want to do the grand opening of a shoe store. But, you know, you do what you do. I say, okay, this is the amount I want. And it was like three times what I would normally charge. Well, apparently no one else wanted to do a grand opening of a shoe store, but no one else put in a bid. Yeah. So I put in a bid. So I did. And so now I got the gig. So I'm like, I got to think out, think about how to do a magic at a shoe store without seeming like, you know, creepy guy walking up to people. Hey, nice pumps. Pick a card. So uh, then as now I live in the country and we have chickens, you know, and uh, I used to have goats. I don't have goats anymore. I have rabbits. So. I had a table and I had a rabbit on it. One of my pet rabbits. I set it on there. People are going to stop. They see the rabbit. I go and they go up to pet the rabbit. You know, totally not thinking how odd this is. A man has a rabbit. That like the rabbit removed the creepiness from it. it says, and they came. I was hi. I'm the magician. Before you pet the rabbit, you got to see a trick. That was that was the, one of the weirder gigs. The hell gig story. When I talked to other uh, com more comics than magicians about hell gigs. This is my hell gig story. I get, I'm working this three-night run of uh, one-nighter comedy clubs up in Michigan. A week before I get a call, the first night's canceled. I'm like, oh, jeez. Okay, so I do the two nights. I do the two nights. This is, like, close to 30 years ago. I get there the first night. 
I'm immediately told this is the last night they will be doing comedy at this place. I'm also told that the other act didn't show up. Because <laughs> usually it's a two or three person bill yeah, and it's yeah. just me. I'm also told it's a huge room, you know, and there are 12 people in it and they didn't seat them. They're here, they're there, they're here, they're there, all over. So there's no uh, commuting as an audience. Mm-hmm. And the spotlight, like the lighting you have here, wonderful. I am pretty sure they had one light. It was a deer spotting light in the back of the room. So I'm doing my show in harsh shadows. I get, oh, and the owner introduces me. I later found out he was a Iraqi pilot who previously had defected to America. So he introduces me with this thick, almost cartoonish accent. Hello, everyone. This is the last night we will be doing comedy here. It, and this is pre-internet. Okay. This is not your fault. No, excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. This is the last night we're doing comedy. This is not the fault ours. No, not ours. We advertised extensively in the local media, the papers. It is not the fault of our comedians like Doc Dixon. No, it is the fault of you, the community, who have failed us. Is that how you warm up a crowd? Yeah, I'm thinking that's that's why he owns the club and I'm a performer. He does this twice. Yeah. He recycles that, that little thing. You, the community. He brings me up there. I do my bit. Do like you know whatever. Do my time. At the end, you know, I brought, it was turned out to be kind of an okay show. I mean, despite all the challenges, people seated everywhere. The guy in the front row laughs so hard he spills his beer. Me not being a schmuck, I say, "Oh, please get my friend another beer there." Now, back then, clubs in the '90s, you frequently you went up to the bar, you got paid in cash. That's just the way it worked back then. So I go up to the bar. They took out the price of the guy's beer. <laughs> so. What, what, which was 20% of the, the payout. Well, no, the money wasn't that bad, but it was, trust me, it was, it was very much the, uh, the, the, the spirit of the thing. Yeah. You took out the 250 for the, whatever. Okay. So I go to the next club in the run. It's up in Traverse City, Michigan. And, you know, I, I don't want to say I have a chip on my shoulder. I had a story on my shoulder I was eager to share. So I say to the bartender, you are not going to believe the night I just had. And before I continue, she stops me and says, I know, I know, everybody tells us about that club when they get here. I go, well, I'm the last one. So that's 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 when I get together. With, that's my hell gig story. I can't imagine, like, um, so I, I speak in public, and it is so difficult to speak to a half-empty room um, because there has to be some sort of connection between you and your audience. Otherwise, it's it can be quite difficult to do the thing. I'll, I'll say one thing about Zoom in regarding to that. Uh, I've been on Penn and Teller twice. Didn't fool them the second time, so get that out of the way. The second time, it was during the shutdown. And so it basically was myself on stage, Penn, Gillette, Penn, Gillette and Teller in, in, in their chairs, uh, the tech crew, and that's it. And the routine I did that time was heavy comedy up front and only a magic climax at the end. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing comedy, comedy to, you know, uh, the only thing the room needed was tumbleweeds. Yeah, yeah. You know, now, thankfully, uh, the the team behind Penn and Teller Fools are the best at shooting magic. And given all that they went through, uh, the shutdown and all that, and showbiz went through, they are just great. And it looked great on TV. And oddly enough, I've got work from that performance, even though, you know, shot under that setting. But if I hadn't had that Zoom experience beforehand, oh, mercy, I hear you. you you're, it's almost like you want to go, okay, I've, uh, I've done that joke about 30 times before. It was funny then. Science tells me you're the problem. You know, you're the variable. It's you. Yeah. I was, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, you, the community. You, the community. Thank you. Plot twist. Yeah. There we go. It's a little bit like um, if you ever go on Fox News or something like that and they put you in this dark room and you have to stare into a black box and pretend that you're engaging with the host who you can't see, it takes a little bit of practice yeah. to try to pretend you're human. But the first time, it's just, it's just awful. Yeah, I, it's something I did uh, during the start of the Zoom thing. I put on my camera, I put googly eyes 
to remind me. Yeah, to, that's a great idea. To, to look there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, can't. It's not my idea. There were there were a lot of ideas circulating amongst the performer community to do those zoom. But but I I got to tell you as as again a very um, I'll, I'll say rabid and rabid and not avid consumer of music. I watched the the live streaming concerts that they did in mm-hmm. empty halls. It's not the same. Even even if the, the performance is the best, um, the performance is always ten times better when they're feeding off of the audience, and you're in the audience, and you're feeding off of them. Um, the people need that human connection, and that that was one of the yeah. one of the crimes of lockdowns. And then you you could see it in data, like people that need connection suffered. When there were. Um Law enforcement in Michigan, where churches were worshiping outside in their cars, knocking on, arresting, or I'm not sure exactly how it followed through, but people in their cars, you know, with with not a mask, but glass and steel separating them from others, uh, denying them even the drive-in movie sense of community. Yeah. It's brutal. But that... That wasn't about health, that was about authority and, and obeying no matter what. Yeah. And I do think that it took people a while. People were scared, people were believing the so-called experts, but I think now people are realizing that it was all BS and it was about power and not health. Did you ever see the movie The Sting? Paul Newman, Robert yeah. Redford, 1973. Okay, it the con in that movie was an actual con from that time. The Wire it was an actual uh, thing that con men did in that era. And one of the points it makes in the movie, and true to life, was that you have to have a blow off so the Mark knows he was not conned. And if you remember the end of the movie, the the cops got him out of there. The the gangster they ripped off. There's been no blow off in this con, at least those that we'll see. And this, you know, there's so many jokes about, oh, yeah, tinfoil hat thinking. No, this is just read. Yeah. This isn't tinfoil hat. This is just read what's in front of you. you know. And a lot of people are hurt, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So how do you deal with um, the dilemma that every public person has uh, particularly if you if you magic or comedy or if you're an actor or a musician and you come out of the closet and say, you know what, I'm kind of a liberty guy mm-hmm. and I like this guy and here's here's what I think about these things. Do, do you get blowback? Well, I, I would like to think I'm so well known. <laughs> now, I, well, there's that to factor in. How well known is my stand? Yeah. Uh, to be honest and humble and sad. But uh, the other thing is I carefully try to put my things in context. Now, I know I can always be taken out of context, but I try to put things in context. When we're talking about drugs, you know, I made a point to say zero stars, do not want, do not like. But what's the more humane thing? Yeah. Uh, I, I make it a point to do that. Um I, I think a, another thing I, I try to make a point to do is I, I try to be, as far as the two major parties, an equal opportunity offender. You know, if I'm doing a rib on Biden, Trump, I want to do a Trump on a rib on Trump, Biden, you know, Yep. Uh, b- because I think that's a mistake. I think a, a number of people not I don't think that's a mistake and the opposite of a mistake, because I think there are a number of people that came to the liberty movement that uh pardon the expression, are wearing their MAGA underwear, <laughs> their MAGA undershirts, and it's like, no, that's that's not what we are, brother. Yeah. That's not what we are. You happen to come in at this moment. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, Biden prints a lot of money. Wrong. Trump prints a lot of money. Wrong. Go on ad infinitum. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So I, 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 I try to do that. Uh, I, I also think and maybe I'm kidding myself. I think my general just kind of demeanor, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a dad of, I got seven kids, a grown daughter, six boys. You know, I, I don't want to say that makes, I don't think that makes me bulletproof, but I, I think it makes me, uh, let's pick on somebody else maybe, I hope. 
Well, there's a, there's a and and this is I've I have a grand theory about comedy that I'm going to float past you, but I think there's a little bit of a happy warrior thing. Um, like you said, you know, Ron Paul. It's hard to hate Ron Paul because he's a normal guy, just being himself. Um, yeah. Never ever sort of deviated from the philosophy that he was espousing. By the way, I think Bernie Sanders is quite similar in the sense that he's he's always been the same guy, um, and. But I think that that comedy is is sort of a is is a potential way that we can sort of bring people together and, and connect with people on these basic values because we're just having fun and we expect comedians to push us a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to say something that makes you uncomfortable. Um, they're going to say something that you can't help laughing at, even though you don't think you're allowed to say that. And I, I think there's there's some magic in that, that that sort of heals some of the partisan BS that you deal with on social media where everyone's tribal and everyone want, wants to destroy the other side. You're either MAGA or you're woke and there's nothing in between. Well, most of us aren't either of those things. We're, we're just people trying to live our lives. Yep. Uh, I, I, I think there, there, there's some merit in that historically, uh, you know, the, in the uh, archetype of the court jester. And he say whatever he wants and the king wouldn't have him killed. Yeah. is the court jester. Uh, I think there's an escape valve that, that some far, far better known people in show business than me have used of, but see, I was kidding. Yeah. Ah, oh, you coward. No, yeah. you weren't. <laughs> you yeah. know, you really meant that stop, you know. Uh, and I don't think that's done as much now because now it's, it's much more vitriolic. Uh, but I think maybe 10 years ago, people kind of leaned on, I'm just a comic. Um, I mean, I... I I mean what I say. I, I don't. I don't think that protects me from it being misinterpreted. But you know, I, I try to mean what I say. I mean, I you know, I, I yeah, I don't want to lie. I don't know if you're into George Carlin, but I, sure. it's fascinating to watch the clips where he nailed our current situation, whatever it was, 20 years ago. And I was always a Carlin fan, but I love him better today because he didn't apologize for the jokes, and he wasn't just a comedian he was he was speaking truth to power oh uh, uh, the the wonderful line about uh don't screw it up well if you if you didn't vote you can't complain you know and he says no <laughs> it was a, i didn't vote he goes on explain by voting you caused it and i and i love the the line at the end i on the other hand and and the audience just leaps in front of him starts laughing because they, yeah. they see the point uh yeah yeah, he was great. He he was uh, great, 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 and, and he had you know a, a cynical tone to him, and which I I can't fault him for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I look what we got out there. Oh, good googly muggly. For the longest time, I was thinking 2024 was going to be a rematch of Hillary and and Trump. Uh, part of me, I think, I was wishing that for the comedic value of it, because. <laughs> You know, I had a lot of leftover material from then, <laughs> but now I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm not. I'm not really sure who it's going to be. Do you have uh, any inkling who you think it's going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Like the the incumbent president, um, who I don't think will run again. I don't think Biden's got another campaign in him. Um, I'm not even sure he's got a first presidency in him at this point. Yeah. Um, and Kamala is even more unpopular than he is. But a, a, an incumbent president like um, takes all the oxygen out of the party. So like, who's their farm team? It's hard to say. Newsom's pushing for it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, he he could announce. Invest in hairspray if Newsom gets it. He could he he could announce from the French Laundry. That would be oh. perfect. Yeah, I'd yeah yeah there um, there you go. Yeah. And, and then you have Trump and DeSantis and and. I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, I don't know. Like, there'll, there'll be a joke in there somewhere, I guarantee you. This is American politics. No. Oh, I think we'll be have sober, serious people running. Yeah, we'll have serious uh, policy discussions about the Federal Reserve and how inflation steals from yes. working folks and 
and how the war on terror has created more war and more terror, I'm sure that's going to happen. They will both say the moment I'm in office, all the troops come home, they will shake hands on that. Yes! It'll be perfect. (laughs) There, we we solved all the world's problems. Thank you. Tune in next week. We'll do Mars. Okay, so (laughs) if, if people want to hire a fantastic magician who happens to be a libertarian, how do they do that? Oh, uh, easy to remember even the DocDixon.com because this feeds into it. Go to LibertarianMagician.com. Nice. You grabbed that one. I grabbed that one. Oh, a lot of fighting for that one. <laughs> and and I see you're on Twitter and you say crazy things once in a while. Occasionally, yeah. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, anything else we need to know about you? How do we find you? Just those things. Yeah, those things. My, my website, DocDixon.com. And uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, easiest to reach out to me through the website. I really appreciate you doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.